This is our this is our common ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Too often our black politicians, professional class, middle class become too accommodated to the capitalist economy, too accommodated to the militarized nation state, too accommodated to the market-driven culture tied with celebrity status, power, fame, all of that superficial stuff that means so much to so many fellow citizens. And what happens? What happens is we got a neo-fascist gangster in the White House who really doesn't care for the most part. You got a neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party that is now in the driver's seat with with the collapse of Brother Bernie. And they don't really know what to do because all they want is show more black faces, show more black faces. But oftentimes these black faces are losing legitimacy too because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see. So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. America's chickens! Home. Our common ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. That is a three strike law and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. 
talk, talk, that matters. Matter. And good evening, and thank you for being here at Our Common Ground. This evening, a very solemn, a very stressful, a very tense America. Riots in the street. U.S. Army is being called to the streets of America on domestic soil. It has not happened since 1968. 108,000 dead. A genocidal lying bigot. A GOP and international crime empire operative sits in at the top of the American government. And his minister of corruption, injustice, and cover-up came before the American public today to affirm that there will be no justice. Thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. For those of you who are new, the best seats in the house are at blogtalkradio.com. Um... Tonight, we're going to have some changes in our programming uh, because of all of the disruptions, protests, infiltration that has come into our honoring, into our demands and challenges on the slaying and murder and savagery against our brother George Floyd in Minneapolis. Rage is broken out in every corner of this country, in Seattle, in Sacramento, in Tallahassee, in St. Paul, in Brooklyn, in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, in Louisville. There is rage. And we're coming into this era in a perfect storm. So tonight we may not cover all of the things that We indicated to you all week that we would cover and have planned to cover in this programming. But it is more than fitting that we meet here in this sanctuary for black truth with an old soldier who is also a scholar, who is also an author an activist, and has the lenses of many eras of black struggle. And, of course, I'm talking about my brother, Dr. Raymond Wimbush. I will not be calling him Raymond throughout this show. And I do want to say to you before we begin our program, and toward the end in the second hour, we're going to take an eight-minute 
um, eight minutes of silence. I have never gone black on this air, but we are going to take eight minutes, the time that an officer who is paid by a man who was paid by taxpayers kneeled into the neck with such savagery for eight minutes and 52 seconds, and we are going to pause during the course of this show. I don't often come to this microphone with such a heavy heart looking into a deep morass vortex. But I have been in this place. When you do this work for 50 years, you have been in this place and you know it's stench and you know it's victories. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So here is the black truth for you tonight. Peace is not the absence of rage. Peace is the presence of justice. And we're going to be talking with Dr. Wimbush, who is the director and a research professor at the Institute for Urban Research at Morgan State University, and I like to say he's the founder. As a scholar and activist, he's known for his systems thinking approach, and we need that tonight to understand the impact of racism, white supremacy on the global African community. His writings, consultations, and research have been instrumental for many, many years in understanding developmental stages in black males, public policy, and their connection to compensatory justice, relationships between black males and females, and the infusion of African studies into school curriculum and the impact of hip-hop culture on the contemporary, uh, contemporary American landscape. Dr. Winbush is the author of The Warrior Method, a program for rearing healthy black boys and Should America Pay? Slavery and the Raging Debate on Reparations, and they were published in 2001 and 2002, respectively. He is not new. To these issues. His book, Belinda's Petition, a concise history of reparations for the transatlantic slave trade, has always been since its publication on my annual reading list. The book is an re- overview of how reparations for the transatlantic slave trade has been a consistent theme among African people for the past 500 years. And I am thinking that this is Dr. Wimbush on our air, and we welcome him back. Hey. How are you? How are you, Dr. Wimbush? I'm better now that I'm seeing you and talking to you. 
I'm telling you, it's been some rough days. Rough three months. Yeah, it's been some rough days, rough days. It's You know, I, I was thinking, it, it's so appropriate because the last time you were here at Our Common Ground, it was Baltimore. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Freddie Gray. And it, seem, it Gray. seems like, yeah, it seems like... I need you. We need you to have to to help us articulate, to synthesize when we are in total crisis. And right now, I believe we're in total crisis, but we are on the precipice of finding ourselves. Yeah. And it's, it, it, go ahead. It's a double-edged sword. Well, it is a double-edged sword because you you almost like are saying wash, rinse, and repeat. So in 2015, five years ago, and one month, you know, Freddie Gray was killed. Uh, we could go yes. back a year prior, prior to that, and Michael Brown was killed. And go a couple years prior to that, and Trayvon Martin was killed. Now, just in the past, three months, you know, we've had Breonna Taylor, Armand Arbery, and George Floyd. I mean, you know, it continues. And I think what happens when anybody, I, I know as a psychologist that when people keep experiencing trauma over and over, like Africans have in this country for the past 400 years, and then it gets, you know, overlaid coronavirus and us being isolated from each other, all of that, it's almost to the point, it's a breaking point, and we're at that breaking point right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to explore with you this idea that I have had for the last two months, that there's a perfect storm brewing. Yes. We're in the middle of a pandemic, we find out or we rediscover the reasons why black health health disparities are so critical. Then we plummet into an economic crisis and depression. That's a perfect storm. Yeah, it is. It is. And the storm is, and see, I mean, you know, someone told me a few weeks ago, they said, well, you know what this is? This is a pandemic over several little epidemics and some big epidemics. We have epidemics relative to lack of nutrition, diabetes, heart disease, um, you know, at childhood asthma, economic pandemics, all of this stuff. And then on top of that, we have uh, this virus. And then on top of that, we have a virus in the White House. And all of this stuff is being, you know, laid on the sh- – so I, I, I deliberately engaged over the past couple of days with some MAGA hats 
because I never talked to these people. And after talking to them, you know, we're at a point, and I've said this in several, I'm not the only one saying it now, a couple of years ago, almost on the brink in this country right now where we were in 1860, right before the Civil War. And now we have politicians, elected officials, uh, some of these maggots, I call them, saying that we could have a civil war. And I think that we're 101 years away from the red summer of 1919 when this country erupted in more racial violence than even we saw in the 1960s. And this is leading up to the election. And, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. anything could happen between now and then. You know, nature usually gives a one-two punch, you know, two t- tornadoes, two hurricanes. And I think the first punch was this COVID stuff, which we still haven't figured out. And this may be the next punch right now, this, you know, national crisis that we're in relative to race, two viruses uh, operating simultaneously. Yes. But but, but here's, here, here is part of, and your work reflects this, that part of the race virus is that we continue to not have an answer. There has been no vaccination. But to, to speak to your point about where we are in this part of our history as a country and both as a people, I have been thinking, and you know, for the last three years, um, while I couldn't be on the air because I was trying to save save myself from myself. <laughs> I ain't going to um, go into that before it is. Um Uh, Well, I was trying to make sure that I could retire. So uh, I have been waging a war against this guy who stole this presidency because I have believed that as long as his criminal and corrupt, his criminal empire, and it's global, it is, it, there is, it is. and it I is. want people to understand, it, it, it's it's not an accident, and he's not stupid when he walks out of the EU, he blew up the G7 today, uh, Friday, uh, yesterday was Friday, yesterday he right. walked away from the, from the World Health Organization, and he has totally ignored the United Nations. Right, right. He has totally given the finger to the members of the EU because he wants to make this country, and this is this is, and I, I want to you know get a response from you. He wants to make this country so unstable that it becomes a new a part of a new kind of cartel, which is for those who are trying to enrich themselves, which is why you see uh, the the complicit traitors supporting him. 
What do you think? What I think is that Trump, you know, I've learned the difference between an asset and an agent. I believe that he is an asset of the Russians. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. No question. And, and, and Putin said 15 years ago in an, an obscure article that he knew that the Soviet Union could never, or Russia at that time, that Russia could never defeat the United States economically, and he knew that it would be global mass destruction if they tried to defeat it militarily. So he said the best way to defeat, and this is Putin, this is not Trump or anybody else. He said the best way to defeat uh, the United States was in creating internal division. And we've seen it. We've seen it for four years almost yes. now, since 2016. He is, he is operating directly out of the Putin playbook, Absolutely. and Putin Absolutely. went on in to take on Russia. Right. Because he's not and smart now, enough to create my, his own. Right. And many of my black left friends, bless their hearts, they want to deny this. You know, look, the Russia, Russia is basically an oligarchy with uh, Vladimir Putin sitting on top of it. He basically is a crime boss with about 18 significant oligarchs under him. They run oil, gas, you know, and the rest of Russia – I mean, the, the main people in Russia, the uh, general population, they're basically lower middle class. They're educated. You know, no place to go to ruble is only use, useful within Russia. They have nothing else to do. And one thing I agree with Obama, Russia doesn't manufacture anything. It has criminal enterprises at the highest level of government. Donald Trump and, and its only asset, its only natural asset, they can't get out of the country, which is natural right. gas. Natural gas. They because they don't have the wherewithal to even build that type of stuff. You know, the mm-hmm. we saw what happened with Chernobyl a few years ago, um, and how they just completely blew it. it I mean, it's Russia's not a failed state because it does have technology. But it doesn't know what to do about how does it lift itself up, create some kind of, if you want to say, capitalistic society the way that the Chinese do. They can't do it. So we hear Donald Trump Jr., the son, two years before the election, that a great deal of uh, the Trump empire was owed to Russia, that he had yes. borrowed. Yeah, and, and that they get all their money ball. out of Russia, which which it was exactly. it was it was an error in what he was it was Eric uh, Trump who said it, and it was an error because was, okay. they don't get their money directly out of Russia; they get their money directly out of the oligarchs that sit in the Ukraine. So the okay, Ukraine, exactly. and that's where Deutsche Bank was so Bank important. In in the money laundering scheme. And I know people are asking, why are you all talking about... But but here here's my point about bringing up um, this mad king. He's, he's operating right out of the Putin playbook. 
And today he called for the U.S. Army to begin to move into American uh, cities to create a situation because, and we need to talk about this too, because um, to operate with the white supremacist groups that have moved into all of these cities to create this turmoil. Mm -hmm. He wants to create a race war. And if you don't believe that, you need to, if you're listening and you're saying, what is she talking about? You need to go back and look at exactly how this jumped off. It jumped off from Minneapolis to Atlanta, then to Mm -hmm. D.C., then to Brooklyn, now in Seattle, now in Oakland and Sacramento, and there is no control. And all of you, mm-hmm. you know, Ray, a, a, a lot of people like to go around talking about, oh, yeah, the police departments, the people in the police departments, they have their little white supremacist groups. They do. That is not just something yeah, people are saying. And they are operating in cooperation until they got called out today. They're operating in cooperation with these white supremacist groups, um, I can't think of the name of the group that Stephen Miller um, pushes, but oh, this is a, a play, right. and and, right. and we don't understand it. It's a play, and now you've got Ray, and you know I don't want to rant and rave about it, but I'm looking at my people, and they are being going to be decimated by this. Well, we're going to be decimated if we don't understand, as you just outlined, the entire picture. You know, too often, I told someone today, you know, too often we're focused on the puppets and not the puppeteers. So, you know, with all due respect to the, um, you know, uh, mayor of Atlanta, she made this speech today. And, you know, Sister Bottoms, I know, is trying to do the best she can. It's hard governing uh, a city, but if you notice, again, many of the major cities now have black folk as mayor, Chicago, you know, yes. Atlanta. Yes, and they're all, and they are all apologizing and they, today. Right, and, and they all have Even Lightfoot. Right, even yes. Lightfoot. And see, what, what it is, it puts the squeeze play on these black politicians, they're going to lose credibility with their uh, uh, constituents because they're going to say, well, you just, you know, buck dancing for uh, a system of white supremacy. And so, you know, instead of pointing in that speech that has gone viral, of course, uh, instead of pointing to, uh, you know, the puppets, we should point to the puppet masters. And we know that Atlanta is still controlled financially by white people. We may control government, you know, uh, wealth, but the wealth in Atlanta is controlled. So she's saying things that she has to say because she's subject to the South. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, so regardless of what happens in Minnesota, just like the black police chief in Minnesota. Uh, they love him up there. I talked to a friend of mine up there. They said they really like him. 
but he's not in control of that police department, the, the no. white supremacists mm-hmm. are. So what we mm-hmm. wind up doing is say, look at all those black folks destroying their own, quote, own neighborhood. Like we own everything that we are destroying. Sure, mm-hmm. there are some mm-hmm. black businesses that have been destroyed. But, again, we don't look at the anarchists. I have seen almost as many white folks, if not more, out in some of these demonstrations than I have black folks. And you I know, said, I made that comment. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Boy. I've made that same op- observation. But uh, let me let let's talk about uh, the police departments and the management of police departments, because this is at the heart. And I think that the language of rage that we hear uh, from black people across the country is that this has to end. Enough is enough of black bodies, unarmed black men and women dying at the hands of police departments and and police departments are not changing. And no, no, it is a, yeah, and it's a form of terrorism. You know, um I listened to Orlando Patterson today. And yeah. one of the things and and Mark um Mark uh Claxton who's been on this show a number of times and you know, how long have, you know, I kept saying to myself how how long am I going to be doing these kinds of shows? Um, I, but uh, Orlando Patterson um, was talking about the culture of police, and mm-hmm. and but nobody's talking about the control under which police unions have on local government. And I have well, been saying, I've been saying for a number of years, you have mayors and county governments who are signing off on these contracts term after term after term, and they protect this kind of behavior. Well, first of all, what we learned here after the death of Freddie Gray is this, and it was something a very, very simple lesson. Uh, we just completed, we were one of the uh, universities chosen in this area um, to do, you know, the consent decree after the death of Freddie Gray that came out of the Department of Justice. And we went through, of course, three attorney generals, uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, Loretta Lynch, and this, uh, you know, the big frog that's up there, the little frog that's up there now, William Barr. And what I we call him the minister of minister of corruption and injustice. Right, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. you, what you what we found was this: first of all, police commissioners are not in charge of their police departments. Mayors are not in charge of their police departments. Who is in charge of the police departments? Are police unions the FOP, if you please? Thank All you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We did a we did a two year study, Dr. Natasha Pratt Harris, myself. We did a two year study that was vetted by 
the police department who didn't want us to uh, publish it because it showed that attitudes towards police in this city were the same regardless of race, regardless of neighborhood. They thought the white folks were going to say, oh, this is, we love the police. They didn't. And so, and and I'll show you this. I mean, here's a good example of uh, mayors not being in police department control. Remember when de Blasio, when the FOP turned their back on de Blasio, the mayor of New York, a couple of years ago, the mm-hmm. hope at the funeral of one of these officers that was shot. They don't control the police department. No, they don't. The and as you said, I, um, Orlando Peterson talks about the culture of policing. The culture of policing is captured in these police unions across the country. You are not and going to change the contract. The mayor's, exactly. The, it's the right contract. Now, Exactly, and they're going to be there long after commissioners are gone. We got a fairly good commissioner in Baltimore right now. He's the same guy that cleaned up the police department in New Orleans right after Katrina, Harrison. Very good guy. The union has called for his resignation. Why? Because he's trying to root out corruption, which plagues the uh, Baltimore City Police Department. So, Mm-hmm. With black folk got to understand that the black commissioner in front of the audience or the black uh, mayor in front of audiences dealing in this, these press conferences, they have absolutely no control over the police department. You've got to deal with those unions. And black people, black police officers have tried to create their own unions, been very successful under the threat of death. Remember Randall Robinson in Chicago yes. way back in the mm-hmm. day? Um, mm-hmm. uh, so you have all of this like web of white supremacy protecting police departments, protecting them, mm-hmm. and mayors, black mayors, black police chiefs, they have not been able to penetrate it. They have not been mm-hmm. able to penetrate it. And and you've got this ad- additional feature that's going on right now. For instance, uh, yesterday um, the mobster who is the president of the United States or sits in the White House uh, illegitimately, one of the things that he did was to begin a code kind of bullying of mayors yeah. and governors yeah. and and a support and, and support language to police officers to yeah. take back the streets. That's right. That's right. And, and we've got and, DJ, we've got to decode that language, and he, yes. and we know he lies consistently. I mean, that's like part of his mo that he lies. So he he quoted the Miami police chief way back in the '60s, who was a white supremacist, when he said, "How did he put it? Um, we uh, 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 you you riot first and then shoot second. I forget how he put it. And then he claims that he didn't know where that was from. He, of course, he knew where it was from. He he talked about uh, the MAGAs visiting the White House tonight because he knew there were going to be demonstrations there. He's not even blowing a dog whistle anymore. He's blowing no, he's a not. megaphone. He's exactly. not a dog. Right. You know, George Bush number, I mean, George H. Bush blew a dog whistle with the Willie Horton advertisement. 
This ain't no dog whistle anymore. It's a megaphone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I've doing, I, I've been doing over the last two days as a, I guess I, I can call myself an Internet activist now, but anyway, I um, cause, uh, because of the pandemic, it, it is encouraging people to really understand the utility and the outcomes. I mean, we've got black people who have absorbed white violence in order to benefit, who think that we have to absorb white violence, um, absorb white violence to benefit from white sympathy. At this point in this country, it's my opinion that we don't need white sympathy. At some point, our community has got to say no and just face the consequences. But what I want to talk to you about is the utility, because people are running around talking about, oh, the civil rights movement was nonviolent. The civil rights movement was not nonviolent. Exactly. Folks clearly need to read up on the the long history of how the FBI and counterintelligence groups infiltrated black protest movements to cause chaos and turn popular support as well as how white supremacist groups still infiltrate law enforcement. That is what's going on now. There was never any progress without violence. Well, you, you're absolutely correct, and and I remember a couple of years ago, right after Ferguson, I forget the poet's name. I don't want to call him if I call him wrong, but he said, "This is not." He may kind of coin that phrase. This is not your father's civil or grandmother's civil rights movement. As if the only thing we did during the 1960s was saying we shall overcome. We had the deacons of defense. Akinyele Umoja has written that book, We Will Shoot Back. Dr. King had a license to carry a gun. We had the Black Panther Party, the Republic of New Africa, Malcolm X, of course. So this idea has been fed to much of this generation, not all of it, but what has been fed is the idea that all we did was passively get our heads whipped, fire hose, and dogs let upon us. We didn't talk, they didn't hear about the Black Liberation Army. Some of them have heard about the Sabatikur. But they, and, and a little bit, if you can get it to them, about the COINTEL Pro era. So as you said, the 60s were a very violent period. It was very violent. I mean, it took the lives of Dr. King and others. So, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I the brutality the, of, of Bloody Sunday. Absolutely. You know, and, and and all of that. But see, what we don't, what our young people have, and I don't want to condemn all young people, but this idea that the 60s was some kind of, you know, we're, this is not your civil rights movement today. Well, now they're experiencing some of what did happen in the 1960s. They're, mm-hmm. they're experiencing mm-hmm. police brutality and killing at other risk. They're, they're seeing how government, you know, in our case, Bull Connor and Orville Fathers, Fathers and all these other white supremacist politicians act, 
But now they got one in the White House. Not that we haven't had one in the White House. You know, Lyndon Johnson was a white supremacist. But what you got to do is now, what does your generation do about white supremacy and how it is killing Africans in this country all over the place at a rate sometimes that I think may be higher in some areas than it was in the 60s? Mhm, mhm. I, you know, one of the things, uh, Ray, and you and I hadn't had a chance to talk about it, was my surprise and kind of uh, quizzical uh, inquiry into why, in during the administration of a mobster and criminal like Donald Trump. We begin to rise up to talk about some some of us to to talk about how important reparations is. You can't get common decency, and you can't get racial respect from this administration. And you thinking you gonna be talking? They gonna be talking to you about reparations? That's right. Because well, that's not their game. Their well, game is to make their friends wealthy. Well, well, it is. But see, this is, again, I'm just saying those many opposers to reparations 15, 20 years ago, when we were mentioning figures between 8 and $10 trillion, Ray, this country ain't got that much money, Ray. How are you going to get reparations and all that stuff like that? I saw at the beginning of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, $2.3 trillion in two weeks. Two weeks. Yes. Yes. And they, went the this, Treasury, this, they went to the Treasury. They went to the Federal federal uh, Reserve Bank, and then they started please. printing. But see, that's exactly, exactly what, you, what you just said, BJ, is important. We act like money somehow has to be accounted for or whatever. You and I are old enough to remember when the United States got off the gold standard after during the Nixon administration. You just have to print money. The only, it's what is called a fiat currency. I don't want to get into all of that. But as yeah. long as the world has faith in the American dollar, you can print as much money as you want. And so reparations went for checks for $1,200 to several thousand millions of people and black folk didn't get it. It went to small businesses. Black folk didn't get it. But and, and so the idea of reparations is best manifested in this so-called stimulus package that was just passed by Congress. You know, and, and, and I think that one of the things that we face, and I'm responding to someone in our chat room about it, is that the ideology of white supremacy has never been um, so prevalent in our legislation, in our laws. No, racism has, but white supremacy right, right. has never. Well, what you've got now, I mean, the Constitution is a white supremacist document, 
I mean, if you read about not only how they dealt with us as black folk, but how they dealt with Native American people and so forth. The the key thing is Ta-Nehisi Coates says in his book, uh, he says that, you know, if you have like this talisman or like a, you know, like a jewel glowing in a box, white uh, supremacist presidents, you know, up until uh, Bush and so forth, they just open it up a little bit. They just, you know, let the light, almost like that light in that movie, uh, uh, with the go with John Travolta, I'm blocking the name of it. Uh, it, it just w. glows. Fever, something fever, something fever. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm having oh. a, I'm having a senior moment. I'll think about it. Okay, uh, yeah, and, okay. Uh, but what uh, as Tanahasi says, Trump didn't open up the whole box. He's yeah. it, and he's leaving it open too. Uh, he he's he's uh, leaving it open for people to glow. He throws again megaphones to his followers. That hardcore group. Most presidents, as you know, when they get in office, they try to expand his base. He's just trying to maintain his because he knows that those 37 million people that slavishly follow him like a cult figure. They're going to vote and they're going to fight if necessary during this next civil war. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, let's go back. Pulp fiction. Pulp fiction. Um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to the, what you think might be the outcomes of what has occurred in this country uh, in the in the next days, because uh, according to all reports tonight. Uh, all of the police in every city, Seattle, uh, the, 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 um, the governor of Washington has called out the National Guard. The National Guard mm-hmm. has hit the streets of Brooklyn, uh, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Detroit, and Chicago. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think, and, and then tomorrow we can expect after a night of um, of fires, especially with police cars. There are two police cars in Miami that have been set afire, mm. and there's another police car mm. in Minneapolis that has been set afire. What do you think will be the outcome? Well, I think this is going to last a while. I think it's going to last at least until the other three officers are uh, arrested. I just got a bulletin over that uh, they put uh, Coven, the guy who uh, killed uh, George, they, they just put him under suicide watch. This dude uh-huh. has created that's, this whole that's after thing. His, that's after his, his wife, wife divorced left. him on Friday. Yeah, I mean, this must be really bad. That's nothing but protection of assets. Exactly, and that's what most people think. I don't think she's divorced, no. And 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 I think most of your audience probably already knows that uh, his wife is the brother of the other, uh, uh, the Chinese sister. guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, okay. the sister uh-huh. of the other person. So yeah. all of this stuff is tied in. I mean, the whole. I mean, I think there's far more to this than we think it is right now. We just gotta watch and see how it is. So. 
Mm-hmm. How I think it's going to end, I think, I think the demonstrations will lessen, if you know, slightly, with the arrest of the other three officers. I think mm-hmm. if people start, if the police get involved, the National Guard get involved, um, you know, as I call him, impetus dictator, if he says, which he can't do because it's supposedly illegal to put the U.S. military out in the streets against his own citizens, if any of that happens, it's going to escalate. Um, mm-hmm. There is no way right now until those three people that we can even look for something else. They threw mm-hmm. uh, Chauvin under the bus. You know, his wife did too for whatever reason. And now well, he's I think suicide that suicide watch. Well, ahead, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was never on, on suicide watch. And um, I, I mean, I, I see this guy as a true savage. So, you know, have at it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, even though, you know, one of the things I have been concerned about, Ray, and I don't know how you feel about it, I've been very concerned about how prosecutors are so busy trying to uh, guarantee a win in these situations that they they sell the truck and the goods on the truck. Um, well, it, came out it, it, it is clear hours. to me that this guy, if you if you listen to, uh, I, I listened to a raw piece of um, audio from the Washington Post that the Washington Post had had gotten, and one of the things is that this man was being told even by the EMTs when they arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, before the ambulance arrived, that yeah. he needed, I mean, eight minutes and 52 seconds is a long time. And yeah, so was, I'm not sure dead. why these, the charge wasn't murder two as opposed to um, murder three. Uh, well, but the, the, that, the, that whole pe- period of time be- between the event, the, the video, and him being arrested, that was nothing but the city and, and the state negotiating with the uh, police union about what they were willing to uh, accept and tolerate in terms of the charge. Well, it, it was. And, you know, keep in mind that he was on him for, as you just said, eight minutes and 46 se- section, uh, seconds. But... George was unresponsive two minutes and 53 seconds prior to that. He had his knee on his neck for almost three minutes, and he was already dead. Um, The other thing that you got to know is that this prosecutor has only recently prosecuted one police officer, and that was a Somali brother, I forget his name, two years ago when he accidentally, Accidentally killed a white woman. White woman. And he uh-huh. went to jail. Uh-huh. He went yeah. to jail. W- also, keep in mind that Hennepin County is the place where a- uh, Amy Klobuchar used to be the prosecutor, and she had COVID 
sheep could have brought charges up on him years ago and did not. And okay, I, I listened to an interview, but I listened to an interview um, of how she got out of that, making that huh. decision whether he should be charged. Uh, she had the governor to decide that the new prosecutor who was taking her place after she had been elected to the Senate should make the decision about the charge. Oh, that please. is her explanation. Well, you um, know, you know, you know, white folks, you know, I yeah. had a friend of mine years ago, he said, sometimes I wish the white folks would just call me the N-word rather than go through these elaborate, contorted explanations about why they are white supremacists. You know, mm-hmm. and I wish mm-hmm. that was the case. Sometimes I wish the white folks just tell the truth, which they cannot mm-hmm. do. Cannot mm-hmm. do it. I got to mention, I got to plug up. It's not a plug. I'm reading a book now by Frank Wilderson. I don't know if you've heard of him, BJ, called Afro-Pessimism. But if your audience is listening, I really I have the book. I haven't started it. Yeah, I got the book. It's a powerful book, and I'm going to make you say this one 20-second thing about it. Wilderson's argument, he's chair of the Department of Black Studies at University of California, Irvine. He says no matter what black people do, that if they provided a, a pill for five bucks or free that could cure cancer, AIDS, and COVID-19 simultaneously, he says white people will never, under any circumstances, ever look us at us other than subhuman. And he says that's why he calls it Afro-pessimism. And he says until black people get to the point that we don't need white allies, that we are we see ourselves not as subhuman, but said vis-a-vis them, they will never consider us human beings. He said we will not be psychologically liberated. And mm-hmm. that's an audacious mm-hmm. thesis, but I would encourage but, people to read But that's that. not a new thesis, Ray. I mean, um, no, in no, 1990 we were talking yeah. about this the nature of the system of white supremacy that we have to we we have to be be uh be realistic about what that is and some of these are people though, we are, I I agree with you I totally agree with you but some people will say I've heard people say you mean all black white people are bad race yes and you say, what about I had a roommate in college or my cousin married one. And so, therefore, all white people are good. Look, you know, and it's like my boy Dick Gregory used to say, rest his soul. He used to say, look, if I'm sure somewhere in the world there is a rattlesnake that is, unpo- that is non-poisonous, but I'm not going to pick up a rattlesnake. There probably is one. And so, I, and as Mimi Fuller has said for years, he said, most white people hate black people. If you know this, you need no little else. But we don't believe that. We need white allies. We, we, we have to, we know somebody's married to white and said, what am I going to do with them? Our mothers and fathers sometimes are white if we're in a so-called biracial relationship. 
So we don't want, and it doesn't mean that you hate them. It means that you mm-hmm. understand that they will throw you under the Pony Morrison says. And mm-hmm. I think that we mm-hmm. need to, it, it's something that is one of the most difficult things to teach black people that white people simply don't like us. It's hard to teach that. It's probably more difficult than teaching racial pride like Garvey did. It's very difficult to teach that because we're in love with well, it. Well, you're, you're a psychologist, and you and I have talked on this program many times about the idea that we seek something, friendship, and when it is rejected, mm-hmm. in, in our personal lives, when it's rejected, we're constantly attempting to take away, to remove, to eliminate the sense of we're not worthy. Well, you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, years ago when I was running the Race Relations Institute at Fisk, I brought this white professor named Benjamin DeMott. He was an economist, I believe. And he wrote this book that I think people should, again, I'm, I know I'm recommending it's a professor in the, it was called The Trouble with Friendship, Why Americans Can't Think Straight About Race. The mock said in front of a mixed crowd at Fish University something that white folks got mad about. And I never will forget this. He said that black people can be friends with white people, but white people cannot be friends with black people. And that wasn't just rhetoric. He said black people can actually look at a white person and see them as a person, as a human being, that they can interact with them. He said, but white people can never do that with us. I had a dear friend of mine, I'm not going to mention her name because I think you know her. She <laughs> was a reporter, a very famous reporter, BJ. And she married, She called me up about a year before she got married, told me she was engaged. And I told her, I congratulate She said, but Ray, you're not going to speak to me after that. I said, why? She said, I'm engaged to a white boy. <laughs> and so I said, well, well, I almost called her name. I, 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 I'm going to call no, her No, 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 but I know who you're talking about. <laughs> you do? I know you know who I'm yeah. talking about. And, and she told, I told her before she got married, I said, look, when you this happens, I want you to call me and let me know that it happens. One day he's going to call you a nigger. And she said, no, he's mm-hmm. not. He loves me, blah, 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 blah. Washington, D.C. reporter. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about. Long story short, four years after they got married, she called me one night and said that he called her a nigger beast. Told her that in a fit, and she divorced him to her credit. Yeah, but she asked to her me, credit. How did I know? Mm-hmm. To her credit, I said. Uh-huh. She said, "Wait, how did you know that was going to happen?" I gave her a simple answer. I said, "Because he was white and you were black. That's it. That's all." Yeah. Yeah and, and, yeah, and I think that's what Demont meant when he says that we can be friends with them, but they can't be friends with us. Uh huh. I don't know if people in the audience are familiar with the term Karen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I want to explain to you who a Karen is. A Karen yeah. is 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 typically for most people known as a white woman who picks up the phone. And 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 tells 
reports on black people because they are not comfortable. They are not being respected. They are not being whatever. But, Ray, every time I see the word Karen, I think about you. <laughs> me? And Why me? Yes. It's because we had that conversation, but we didn't have the language of Karen so oh, many years yeah. ago. Yeah, um, I remember that. You know, I do remember that. And, and I think that one of the things that has happened in our trauma is that we have such an internal conflict going about going on about who we are that when someone calls up the question of who we are we totally uh get put in a position where we can't think straight. We can't think through the things that we know. We go into a state of confusion because we can't think through the things. And one of the things that frightens me about that is our interaction with the forms of terrorism and police brutality that our children face every day. One way or the other. It's not just a person in a police uniform. It's a teacher. It's a security guard at school. It's uh, um, someone who lives in the neighborhood who doesn't think that you should live in their neighborhood because you're not good enough. The messages of you're not good enough. And I think that the reason, and I want to, um, I'm I'm going to take a break and let us get a uh, everybody take their take a breath. Is the reason that this is so important during this uprising that we need to be able to talk to our children in a way that helps them to understand that. They don't have to make apology for people who are protesting in their interests. That has been my point all week with the black people and other people because I think that when we start accepting that we need white sympathy to get through Mm -hmm. this, that we need white approval to get through this. You know, I've been saying to people that those people, you know, I'm grateful. The men and women, because I'm too old now to go out and throw any tear gas canisters back at you. So I am so grateful to the young people and the people in these communities who are strong enough, secure enough, clear enough, to go out and on my behalf so I don't have tear gas on my on on my hands to protect and protest the interests of my grandchildren. That's right. That's right. I'm grateful. And we need to be That's grateful. Right. And all of you who want to want to 
uh, email me and message me and tell me I'm I'm supporting riots. Yes, because a riot is the language of the unheard. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Dr. Raymond Winbush, and we are grateful for him to be with us, be here in this blank sanctuary to help us to understand the language of rage. Our number, 347-838-9852, and we'll be right back. I want to know why I'm fine one minute and the next my body aches so bad I can't move. I want to know why my hair is falling out. I'm only 17. I'm tired all the time. Now, this rash. I just want to know what's going on. When you don't have the right answers, it may be time to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov or call 1-800-994-9662. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. The United States is a mafia government. No one has done more damage and degradation and murder rates and robbery than Europeans. Yes. Therefore, in order to escape confrontation with their true criminal nature, they must accuse others of being criminals. What we call rejection. They must become upset with the criminality of other people. And black folk become those other people, you see. Please. Officer Chauvin lifts his knee from Floyd's neck around 8.28 p.m. after 8 minutes and 46 seconds. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is break the Can you tell me why? listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind. It's a terrible thing to waste. 
do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains All we want to do is Can you tell me why? Every time I step outside, I see my niggas die. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And thank you again for being with us and for those of you who are just joining us. Our number is 347-838-9852 and our guest tonight is Dr. Raymond Wimbush. He is the director and a research professor of the Institute for Urban Research and he is also the author of Should America Pay? If you have not, you should, and it is, um, you can find the link on our website at ourcommonground.com. We've been talking about police terrorism and murder and the America that is on fire tonight, and we um, certainly invite you to join us in this conversation, but Ray, before we uh, start taking calls, one of the things that that I need to ask you to do is to talk with us for a moment about um, what I see as the uh, not so organized organize, organization, and we haven't done very much training since Ferguson around how activists ought to be training people in the community to respond to the continuing crisis of white supremacy and white supremacy uh, activism. What are the HBCUs doing uh, to, one, provide training for activism, and two, uh, for training for police departments. Well, you know, I'll speak for, you know, Morgan State here in Baltimore. Uh, first of all, we provide, I know this sounds at a lower level, but we provide a safe place to learn for, for black students. Just so They don't have to worry about somebody calling them, out of their name or out of their race or something like that. I mean, that's a very important thing. They don't feel, and and we wrap our uh, 
you know, uh, I mean, it's a blanket service from the time they enter until the time they leave. And that's not unique to Morgan State. It's to almost every HBCU that is out there. Secondly, and I and this is what I love. I'm a product of the HBCU. Two of my three children are as well. Black students, that's where leadership is developed. So we have student leaders right now doing all kinds of things around the world. And, and so students, like when Freddie Gray was killed here five years ago, nobody had to tell those students, look, you need to march downtown, which is approximately five miles away from the campus. They just did it. They, they organized groups. They asked me to talk to them uh, several times, in fact. The radio station that we have, they broadcast shows about it. So there's, there's opportunities for leadership. And we, of course, within the classroom, teach students, not all of the teachers, because some teachers, unfortunately, bring with them, you know, like Nathan here, my boy, says, they bring the ivory tower into the, the ebony tower. My students know that they're going to get a black uh, education, an African-centered education. So do, I mean, the, you know, the vast majority of those in the social and uh, humanities and music and so forth. So I think there's a natural development of leadership on how to deal with these things. If I were teaching right now, in, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, which I will be in the fall, we would probably stop class for at least Two times I would give extra credit assignments like I did this past year to look you get 15 extra points and that's this is exactly what I did if you go see the film Harry and then we spent a classroom period talking about that so that kind of naturally flows from an HBCU we don't have the struggle with developing leadership at an HBCU that I think it happens at TWI mm-hmm mm-hmm you know, one of the things before you you know I'm not in Boston anymore. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, no, you down in you down you down there in the south, right? In Florida. I'm, I'm in I'm in DeClantis. <laughs> I call it DeClantis country. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Go ahead. Um, but you know, <laughs> this is home for me. I grew up right. here. You know, and I tell people I, I own the land. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, th- this is home. And, and one of the things that I was in conversation with uh, Marty Walsh, uh, the mayor of Boston, about uh, and his housing authority um, directors was mm-hmm. the idea of setting up civics and leadership academies inside public housing. And my thought oh, was my thought was that, you know, for instance, um they organ they do a lot of organizing of tenants, but they don't do any organizing of the young people in housing authorities. And my my sense was that there were young people who smoke marijuana. Marijuana is now um uh legal. Those young people need a space in which they understand yes. how 
and with whom they negotiate where they smoke their marijuana. That's right. That's right. You know, and, 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 and if you begin to engage people, especially people, young people, who are disenfranchised, totally disenfranchised. They didn't get the preparation when they were in our public schools because that's not the intent of public school anymore. But if you do that, then you begin to harness a new form of and a new generation of leaders who are willing and know how to speak truth to power. Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, and, and, and one, I think that we have to begin to do that kind of stuff, that we, you know, like these young people in Minneapolis, the young people who um, are are protesting, they're not going to learn that from Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives Matter is somehow... Um, not institutionalized I word effectively. Right here. I know. So what? I know. I know. Say that again. <laughs> not not say that. That's what BJ said. <laughs> but I got some struggles with Black Lives Matter. But I don't want to get into that now. We are, but I agree. I agree. And, well, and, we've and we've we've this. talked about that. Good. Mm-hmm. Right. We we've well, talked good. about that. Yeah. Um, we got to figure out what Black Lives is beside a hashtag. And when you said about organizing, I think that's one of the things that in this COVID era, which, you know, is one of the advantages of being at a university, you can talk to your colleagues in any field, chemistry, biology, economics, history, you know, whatever. And I talked to a biological, a, a, a biology colleague of mine, she told me, she said, Ray, this stuff is going to be here to stay. This is here to stay. And she mm-hmm. said that all institutions, universities, churches, K through 12, corporations, everyone is going to have to adjust. You know, the old world as we know it or knew it is gone. Mm-hmm. We're never going you to know, go back to you're, that. You're absolutely right. And it's so hard to organize that one of the things that I did back in March was to contact a number of the black scholars that teach African-American history and say, look, Mm -hmm. I've got a studio. I've got means of marketing. You've got means of marketing. This is a time that we can have online African-American studies that we've been talking about sure. that the public schools want to offer and, 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 and couldn't get people to understand, conceptualize how that would work. Hell, how it would work is you come in and you teach about the theories of Amos Wilson, and then you come That's in right. and you teach about the theories of, of um, manhood training, and you come in, I mean, uh, and, and, and and the only person that got it was uh, Renoko Rashidi. I said, would you do one night or one day of an hour of teaching something about a country that you have been in on the continent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. We want to have it 
you know, and 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 Ruby Sales was um, with us a couple of oh, weeks yeah. back. And one of the things that she said is that the problem is that we are using lenses looking through our lives from a white perspective. And that is an impediment that will forever limit us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you I don't know how you resolve that except for people like me well, at my age I'm still trying. <laughs> well, you know, Marimba says the the most difficult thing for black people to do in the world is to be African. And then people say, Well, what do you mean by be African? The di- most difficult thing is for us to dream of a black world. It doesn't mean that we're with not that we're out of that system of white supremacy, but speak unafraid about everything that you do. Don't worry about getting arrested. I put on my mm-hmm. Facebook page a couple of days ago, what is the obligation of those who are gathered around our people who are being murdered by police? You know, like those people that, you know, and I had people privately email us away. I'm not risking my life. So in other words, your life is should be thought about first before the person down there. Now, if you were on that ground, BJ, and you were had a knee on your neck, you would want everybody to help you. You know you mm-hmm. would because you want to mm-hmm. live. And I think that we've got to develop, we've got to ask these difficult questions about what we would do in light of just some of the police brutality we experienced. In the 60s, I thought we had some of that solved because we created groups like the Deacons of Defense, the Black Liberation Army, the Black Panther Party. Martin Luther King carried a gun. You know, mm-hmm. um, was it uh, Akinyele you know, Umoja's book, We Will Shoot Back talks about Medgar Evers' brother who said that, if you come in. But somehow in the past 50 years, we don't even talk about guns anymore. We don't talk about self-defense. And I'm not just talking about self-defense from the police. Clearly we need that. I'm talking about self-defense against a health system that doesn't regard us, a self-defense about nutrition in our communities that is, under poor, I'm talking about K through 12 schools that are often inferior. We have to develop self-defense mechanisms to deal with white supremacy. We have to mm-hmm. be an African in all situations, and if we're not, we are going to perish. Mhm, mhm. And 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 I I think that there is a a a blemish, or you might even characterize it as a stain. And that stain is that we have diluted ourselves through uh, creating experiences which we call opportunity that has robbed us of ourselves. Right. That's right. And, you know, I'm not trying to, um, you know, I get a, a lot of email from people who listen to this program, and I really appreciate it. But there are some people who listen to this program 
and they don't have the infrastructure in which to really listen to this program. So let me explain that a little bit more. And that is that we expose our children, our black children, to environments that minimize them. We expose our black children to people who believe that they are not as worthy as their white counterparts. And when that happens, and Ray, you know, correct me if I'm going in the wrong direction. You're the psychologist here. I only play one on radio. (laughs) But when we do that, we're creating a stain. You know, like I have been constantly talking I have been very concerned about my eight-year-old grandson and him understanding about this virus because he's been hyper-intellectual about it. You know, uh, he is overdoing it a little bit. And um, he's seeing, and, and and my two grandsons are seeing this on TV, what's going on. And I have just been really struggling all week because Tuesday I was a little bit crazy. I was real crazy. So I couldn't struggle with anybody about anything on Tuesday. But I've really been struggling toward the latter part of the week to help them understand in the context of history, in the context of the culture of this country, that these things are going on. And my older grandson, who graduates from high school on Monday, um, he has been really struggling with to understand it in the context of the civil rights movement and the black power movement. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think that we understand that when we overexpose them they make choices. They mm-hmm. make choices to to be tolerant, and they make choices to capitulate, and they make choices to compromise. And I think mm-hmm. I think at a young age, some of those choices are not good ones, and we are not paying yeah. attention. Well, so you, I, I, I just you're absolutely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm done. (laughs) No, no. I I think we have to always be, I mean, I don't know when, I don't know about you, BJ. I don't know when I became an elder. I guess it was when I may have turned 50, you know, but people start calling me Baba, an elder. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. As a a privilege, I think that we've got to teach our young people about, you know, you know, a lot of people accuse the millennials of not listening to anybody and, you know, going their own way, ignoring their forefathers and foremothers and stuff like that. You know, hopefully that's not true. And I think we just still have to provide, you know, information yeah. and knowledge and wisdom to people younger than us. And um, oh. it's like I said, it's very interesting. My students ask me all the time, how was it in the 60s? And, you know, I tell them about Dr. King and what happened and, you know, how was, you know, Malcolm and all of that. They're experiencing mm-hmm. it right now. This is it. Yes. 
Yes, this what is What are it. they going to do about How are they going to reorganize, like you said earlier, how are they going to organize the organizations now? What do you do? Yes. You got to go beyond yes. a hashtag, and you got to figure out clever ways of getting your message across. And it could include yes. what's going on in the streets right now, but you got to yep. think about that. Yeah, that's right. And you know, and we've got to build better and more proficient black media. We do. Oh um, my God! Don't. But how long yeah, have you been I, saying that, DJ? We've been I know. saying that so long. And then your boy, I know, I know you know who he is. What's that brother out? He's a he used to be a conservative black congressman, and he started this TV station out. What is his name? Alan. Oklahoma. Alan. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Not Alan Keyes. Not Alan Keyes, that other dude. I can't think of his name. But see, we need, you know, I remember when Brian Gumbel quit the Today Show. He said he was going to start something called being in the Black News Network. I'm still waiting for it. I'm still yeah, waiting for yeah. it. Yeah, he got but mad. I, I, he got mad. He got mad and right. and left and thought that they were going to beg him, and that was not happening. But I, I'm even talking about the way in which we have taken black people to white media and oh, said, yeah. this is, this is it, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. I turn on MSNBC uh, after I mm. listen to Joe Madison for a while, and then I listen to little, <laughs> you know, Martin, and 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 then I'm looking for for news all day, switching from PBS to NPR to whatever, because. We are not creating the media outlets that's necessary no. to speak to to speak to the critical issues. We're just repeating what people say. We are, and and I and I and I I want to promise my audience that I will never do that. I'm not repeating. I'm not copying. <laughs> I ain't copying on your homework. <laughs> I, I think that we're heading. I think in terms of media, we're making some small steps in the area of Hollywood, you know, because mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. a new, you know, I guess I can say this on your show that, you know, a couple of years ago I had uh, lunch with Ryan Coogler, and I, this is a young lion. I mean, you know, the director of Black Panther and yeah. and Fruitvale uh-huh. Station and. And Kugler, these guys, he said something to me that really made me think. He said, you know, Ray, if you look at the beginning of the NBA, it was all white. He said, you know, refs were white, the players were white. He said, but at the end, it's all black. And he said that he Mm -hmm. believes there's a group of young uh, directors, producers in Hollywood right now uh, Charles King, the produced Thurgood, he was my student at Vanderbilt. And he said that, and I've talked to him several times too, and Charles as well as Ryan, they think that they can change this Hollywood. Interesting mm-hmm. enough, and I, I'm, I'm saying this is gossip, but interesting enough, Ryan wasn't invited when Tyler Perry opened his studios in Atlanta a few months ago. And I felt bad about that. But see, P- 
Perry and Kugler are doing and Charles King are doing, you know, three different kinds of movies. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. and I'm not going to start dissing Tyler Perry because he does a lot of good stuff. But if I was Tyler Perry, which I'm not, but if I were, I would try to expand my repertoire to take in some of what needs to be dealt with right now in our communities mm-hmm. on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought about you, Ray, uh, during the time of, of when they started closing down the theaters. I said, Ray, go to all the new movies. I know <laughs> <That's> he. <right. laughs> I know I, he is is trying to figure out what to do with himself. But you know, uh, and and we and we have a lot of activists like Jeffrey. Um, Lord, his name just went by the, me. The, 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 the guy g- on Westworld, the guy yes. on Westworld. Yes, yes. Yeah, Bernard. Jeffrey, uh, yeah. He's the no, only no. actress actor that that I absolutely have a man crush on, and on every character Jeffrey that he does. Jeffrey Wright. You talk about Jeffrey Wright. Right. Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright is a huge activist. I mean, yes, last is. night Jeffrey Wright was on Twitter talking trash. So I think we, you know, we do have to uh, begin to tap into the people who are doing the right things. Um, right. Who, who have a little glitter to their lives and people pay attention to. The, the, and, and before, I, and I, and, and, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, before we get off the idea of, of media, my concern is that we have we still have black newspapers that are struggling to stay alive. We have black online um publications that are struggling to stay online. Yeah. And I'm not sure if there's are any initiatives that are really speaking to touching or challenging how we respond, you know, like the two, I was off the air for two years because um, um, the, the the people in the, in the, in Washington was going to come for me and, well, they did come for me and the only ammunition they would have would be this radio program. So I decided um, you, you've taken everything else, but you're not taking you're not taking my retirement, <laughs> so. That's right. Um, that's right. So I had to spend the last two years of my federal service not uh, doing this radio show, mm. uh, and they and they still didn't know anything about it. But I know when people decide to come for you, but <clears throat> the system really has not the infrastructure and I talk about the political infrastructure and I also talk about the media infrastructure has not been created so that black people get clarity in their news reporting that they get clarity in their analysis without the necessary padding and apology that we see in some of these outlets you know like I always yeah. advertise this show I ain't serious radio I'm with a I I'm serious radio with a E. Uh, so um I just I just think that there are so many points 
um, things that need to be covered. Um, you know, for instance, we should have, we had no way of organizing because what is happening this week should have happened when a 12-year-old by the name of Tamir Rice Tamir Wright. was assassinated assassinated right. in, right. by the police right. in a playground. That's that right. should have been the last straw. So you've got people reporting on these events of this week and the death and the murder of George Floyd and the murder of Ahmad Aubrey and the murder of uh, um, Brianna Taylor. Uh, Brianna Taylor. Taylor. Brianna yeah. Taylor. Yeah. And 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 even with the report of Freddie Gray and Sandra Bland, the analysis right. was not connecting the dots. That's right. I agree. And, I agree. And you know, and I do resent the idea that you have black people who are doing well but black people in 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 talk radio but black people who uh, are are how do I say this without you know black people who are doing well and they change with the wind in their delivery and it really aggravates the crap out of me but anyway before well, we, we have to, it. okay, go ahead, go ahead. Before no, we have we've to seen work. what? No, you go ahead. We've seen well, what? Well, we've seen, we, we've seen, like for example, I had some mixed emotions. I was with her on a program about a year ago, but I had mixed emotion when Donna Brazil went over to Fox News. Uh, it, it, it was something incongruous about it. Uh, I know they wanted a, I guess, a dissenting voice over there, but I wonder was that part in, in part about just making money? Sometimes I've got a colleague. Well, I better say that on air. Um, yeah, yeah. Let me, you know, and, and the guy I was thinking about was J.C. Watts with that new black. Yeah, J.C. Yeah, network. he was in the yeah, U.S. He I, was in the U.S. in the Congress. Congress, yeah. uh-huh. right. So, you know, but I think that we've got to, we've got to, you know, we've been talking about this. Frankly, to be honest with you, BJ, the freest expression that I see that black people have right now is social media. And I know it's got its limits. I've been in Facebook jail about eight times, you know, uh, Twitter. Yeah. Too fast. <laughs> and my son tells me I need to get on Instagram, but I'm on part, it's one leg in and one leg out. But. I think that's the free, and I think it can be a platform, but we still need our own social media. And there are some yeah. out there. But yeah, we gotta Black get, I think that Facebook, Yeah, sure. But I think that what happened is that Facebook got to the table first. Whatever happened to Black Planet, you know, and all oh, of those things, because, they get. Yeah. What happened? I don't know. Do you, you know? Do you know? Black, because Yahoo decided that that wasn't a platform worth their worth their investment, uh, and black go. people migrated to. It was at the time that Facebook 
uh, became yeah. very, very popular. You yeah. know, and I, I just, um, I just think that, and and then when you go to some of the other platforms, like people started migrating to Instagram and uh, Chat Snap or Snapchat or whatever right, it is. Right. And we get diluted. We get we we yeah. we get terribly diluted. Um, I, I did invite people to call, but when you call in to speak with our guests, I think you have to press one or something like that to let me know that you're not there, just parked. Uh, you're listening to our common ground for those of you who have just joined us, and my guest tonight. I'm in conversation with Dr. Raymond Wimbush of the Institute of Urban Research at Morgan State University. Ray, you know, one of the things that I want to ask you about is the idea uh, when you were at Fisk University and you were director of the Race Relations Institute, um, I, I think people believed that the their activism, their programming of what they were doing in their local communities or doing on the national stage was a preparation for for going into the Race Relations Institute every summer. Is there mm-hmm. now some kind of platform like that? No. Uh, after I left Naomi Tutu, as you know, working with me, uh, uh-huh. Bishop Tutu's son, she told me when I left Fisk in 2002, which doesn't seem like 18 years ago, she said, Ray, if you leave, I'm leaving. I said, no, you ain't. She left. She left about uh-huh. about a year later, went over yeah. to Tennessee State, I believe. Um, you know, I have been told over the years and encouraged Harry Allen of Public Enemy uh Chuck D. from Public Enemy, and several people have told me that we need to revise the Institute of, you know, Race Relations Institute. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and you know, we got that money during the, you know, see, we have support at Fifth, and not that we wouldn't have supported at uh, Morgan, but with Fifth made the mistake of, and I'm not going to name the president because you know her too, that closed uh-huh. down. She said after Obama, after Obama got elected, there was no need anymore to deal with race relations. We had somehow arrived or something. So I knew that was a mistake, but it was I was out of my power to do it. Um, yeah. Jeremiah writes. You know, my new book is about Frances Cress Welding, and she was a frequent person at the race. She, in fact, she was at every race relations that we had three of them. Uh, so was Gamal and Kruma, you know, Garvey's grandson. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, just everybody. Everybody was there. And what? we got a lot of dialogue. Dorothy Height, John O. Franklin, you know, Max Roach yeah. before he made his transition as well. But I don't know I don't know of any place close to that right now in the United States because I know at the time we were doing it there were there was only us. I mean, yeah, that's how I get yeah. out bored. We get <laughs> out bored to teach it this. Here is a here is a critical notion um, for me in having that kind of platform. 
and mm-hmm. that is that people can begin to plan both the political yeah. and social infrastructure to address the critical issues before us. And that is why, and, and I think as a result of not having the infrastructure, that, you know, we go into things like, oh, we got to, I know that Joe Biden is the price. But I've been asking the question, <laughs> yeah. what is the playbook? If he's the price, what's the playbook? We're going to take one call, uh, 773 out of Chicago, um, and we only have a little bit of time because I do want to do the eight minutes of uh, in honor of what our people are in the street. And by the way, I'm watching uh, right now, and there's breaking news, there's raging uh, 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 tonight across U.S. and Washington D.C. is on fire. Yeah. Seven seven three. You're on the line. I respect you with Dr. Raymond Wimbush. Good evening, Janice, and good evening to Dr. Wimbush. Alpha, how, how are you? I will say this because I know you ain't got. Too much time I've been holding for a half hour. And, uh, oh, I know you're going to wine. Yeah, of course, i got to wine first because <laughs> I won't get the wine in. Because you're not going to let me get everything I want to say in because i got a lot to say. And I just well, don't have the, uh, the the air, the wind to uh, do a two-hour show of my own. So I'm coming to your show. <laughs> I'm not a bit. For those of you who you know, are new, Alpha is was the host for many years of the Alpha show on our TruthWorks network. Go ahead, Alpha. What do you got to say? Stop whining. Well, I've heard you all speak about um, the uh, the uh, protest on the uh, Floyd case. And then I heard someone speak about Tamir Rice. And that basically should have said it all. We're going in circles. We're talking about the same thing. When was that young boy killed? How many years ago? Tamir Rice. Yes. Tamir Rice died some years ago. And we've been talking in circles. And how many people have died? Unarmed black people have died between that Rice and Floyd, and we're still talking about moving on something. We're still talking about doing something about it. There's nothing going to happen. These people are going to riot in the streets, and after they get tired of rioting, and when night falls, the rocketeers come on the boogaloos from the white supremacist gang comes on, breaks out some windows, starts some fires, and uh, it's all blamed on the movement. And they all go back in and back up. This is not. This is no way to get pissed off. And well, so how are we supposed to get pissed off? 
You're supposed to be angry and stay angry. You're supposed to be angry and stay angry politically. We talk about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is just the lesser of two evils. And when has this country been anything other than evil? When? And if you can't stay angry, you lose. A simple, let me say a simple this, thing like staying angry. Yeah, let me let, let me comment on that real quick. You know, there's one group. Well, let me give you this. When Armand Armory Arbery was uh, killed down in Georgia, uh, a group of armed black folks came there with AR-57, stood out on the street with those two white boys that killed him. The cops didn't mess with them. When that sister walked into the Michigan Capitol, state legislators with armed black men, they didn't mess with her. The Nation of Islam, you have never, there have been thousands of brothers all over this country selling bean pies and final calls in the street corners. You ain't never heard a minister of uh, Farrakhan's members ever being assaulted. That, that might have happened, but it's been enough. And, and I'm telling you, and, and people don't want to hear this, but we have to start talking very, very deliberately and intentionally about self-defense in our community. We need to form gun clubs. The National African-American Gun Association is growing faster now than the NRA. We cannot pray ourselves, we shall overcome ourselves, or march ourselves to somehow make white people better. That's the only thing they understand is force, power, and death. I hate to say it, but it's, it's what they Understand, and we've got to counter that, not offensively, but defensively, and protect our community. Well, Dr. Wimbush, you can't hate to say that. You have to say it and mean it. I say it and I, oh, mean, I mean it. I'm not, lifting, I'm not lifting a weapon or a finger to be aggressive in that, in that area, that whereas I'm going to go out and start shooting. But like you said, right. The police did nothing when black men were armed. They did nothing. Exactly. Exactly. They didn't do anything. And that's why I say when you come to the political arena, people must stay angry. You must be angry every day. You that's must be right. angry even when you happen. When you when you start with politics, the other side is fighting you. With uh, guns and knives, Democrats bring feathers into the sources. And that's how you lose. That's how you lose all the time. That's, that's all right. I'm saying. And since I agree, I've known, since I've known uh, my big sister there, Janice, that's all she knows me as, just a, just flat out. To balls to the walls, let's fight. Let's dislike a Republican because the Republicans are the bad guys in this entire scenario. And I think they've proven it for the last 10 years, 11 years. They've proven it since Obama. And that's why Obama uh, basically disappointed me so much because he simply wouldn't fight. 
And I guess that's, that's right. all the time I got left. I guess that's all I time I'm gonna get today. Um so I'll um I'll fade to black. Let's put it like that. Have a good evening. Okay. Thank you, you Alpha. Um I mean, one of the things I like about Alpha is just his his politics are just common black common sense. It's right. And and, and, and that is why I am his. begging people to understand that there I mean Ray, you just really brought it home. There is nothing that any of you can do to make them understand I behave differently. The only thing that we have ever gotten out of this country in terms of protection is the Civil Rights Act. And that came from... Exactly. It's as though it doesn't, but the only thing that we have ever gotten, and that came out of riots, and it came out of rage, and it came out of people thinking, believing that it wasn't going to stop until there was something. Ray Wimbush, I want you to stay with us. We're going to um, do a little thing here and, and, and really hope that people stay safe in their physical beings but not safe in their thinking. There is no safety right now uh, in thinking that freedom does not have a price. Um, Next week uh, at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking with Mark Claxton and talking about police unions and black police because that's something that we need to talk about. Ray, I'm hoping that uh, during this time I'll be calling on you a lot because I think that we need to have the kinds of discussions that help us, that give us, that affirm um, who we are and what the possibilities are and what the reality is. And I want to thank right. Alpha. Yeah. So well, I'm going you. to be calling on you a lot. Um, and the new Just book on Francis, Dr. Francis, Francis Crest Welsing is is going to be when? Oh, it's out. It's out. It's been out. Uh, we've been on book tour with it already. Uh, the Osiris Papers. Yeah, I'll get you a copy, BJ. The Osiris okay. Papers. Uh, the Life and Teaching, Reflections on the Life and Teachings of Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. And Paul Coates published it, you know, Ta-Nehisi's dad at Black Classics Press. Yeah. He's proud of it, Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah you know Paul, Paul was one of my mentors, uh, colleagues. Yeah. Um, when I was in the Black Panther Party, he was the, the journalist, the head journalist for um, – for the party, and yeah. um, even though he wasn't in Boston, he was down in D- in New York and D.C., but um, Paul has played a very big role in all of this. Um, yeah, yeah. I have gone back, I have gone back and read 
um, uh, the ISIS papers a couple of times over the last two years. We'll read You'll the Osiris papers. Okay. Read the okay. Osiris papers. They're good. They're good. Jeremiah Give me right information. Really? I will. Oh, okay. Go to go to face uh go to Amazon unfortunately. Go to Amazon or go to Black Class Express and you can pick it off of there. Okay? Okay. Okay. And thank you so All much right, for sir. spending time with us. Keep doing what you're um, doing, okay? I will. Thank you very All right, much. Love you. Take care. Respect. Bye bye. Um you can join us on Twitter at Janice OCG, hashtag Janice OCG. Uh, follow us at OurCommonGround.com or join us on Facebook at OCG Talk Radio. We appreciate you. We thank you for being with us tonight and hope that you'll join us. We we do this show at 10 o'clock on Saturday night for a reason, and that is that it is a time for people to sit without distraction to reflect. I'll be listening for you next Saturday at 10 p.m., and now we're going to move into a short uh, remembrance of what is happening in our country tonight, and we hope you'll stay with us until the end. joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Who will survive America? Few Americans, very few Negroes, and no crackers at all. Who will survive America? Few Americans, very few Negroes, and no crackers at all. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out, it will be out, oh, one day, when the war is won, we will be the heavens, no man, no weapon, 
formed against Yes, glory is destined Everyday women and men become legends Sins that go against our skin become blessings The movement is a rhythm to us Freedom is like religion to us Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, his spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day. When the glory comes, it will be ours. 